It's really, it's really announcing that we're not an insular culture anymore. You don't have to go out to say, you know, out in the west of Caroline Springs or Sunshine to get your Filipino fix. Uh, we're coming to the people, and 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 that's that's amazing. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Burnout has been a common theme for many of our guests, an all-or-nothing approach to their job which delivers high levels of joy and extreme exhaustion. As a result, we've seen many take a new approach to their careers in food. John Rivera is the co-owner of Caraton in Melbourne. John, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on, Huck. It's great to get you on the show. You've um, had a pretty interesting career and a bit of a shift in sort of what you're doing in food. Um, tell us a little bit about Caraton. Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, Caraton, I guess, it uh, it's specializes in Asian artisanal Asian-inspired gelato. Uh, we started off in 2020 during the height of the Melbourne lockdowns. Um, you know, myself and my one of my friends and business partners, Min, who I started the business with, we were fine dining chefs for a good part of 10 years. Um, the crazy part about COVID, I guess, is that we always thought we'd have work anywhere in the world. You know, we could go to Europe, we'd go to Asia, Africa, you name it, all the corners, and we would never be short of a penny. Um, <clears throat> then COVID came along, especially here in Melbourne, it was very tough because we had the strictest lockdowns anywhere, we found ourselves sitting on our ass for two weeks. Um, I was playing Sims on the couch and it was a dream after, after 90 hour weeks for, for, you know, 10 or so years, um, all of a sudden I got this break. Um, but we just realized that we needed to do something. We needed, I guess, uh, somewhere to channel our creativity and in a way almost, uh, in a way also, uh, bring joy and happiness to the people of Melbourne during that that dark time. So yeah, we started off um, delivering tubs of gelato all over Melbourne, uh, and in ja- January 2022, we opened our first store in Footscray in in Melbourne. Uh, and last year in October, we opened our flagship store in Russell Street in Melbourne Chinatown, and. In hopefully, depending when this podcast airs, but the end of June, um, we'll be we'll be opening our third store in Glen Waverley. So it's been a hell of a journey, uh, something we're really really proud of, uh, and we're really happy with. I guess also the representation that it has had for Filipinos and Asians in Melbourne. Why, why did you head down that gelato path, and you know what were the challenges for you initially? Yeah. I actually started off as a pastry chef. I went to, I went to TAFE studying patisserie. Uh, it was during, I, I, I grew up during that time where Adriano Zumbo was, was the king and I was greatly inspired by his crock and bush and macaron towers that I saw in MasterChef. So I, I gravitated towards, towards doing pastry. That's where actually where I met Min. Min and I were, were uh, partners for all of our practical classes in, at William Anglers. Uh, my journey kind of took me towards the savory path, but then, you know, we've always loved ice cream and gelato. It's funny because when my my wife or my fiance at the time were in Italy, uh, we we promised ourselves that we were going to have one scoop of gelato every day. Oh, we're going to have gelato every day that we're in Italy. And sometimes, you know, you go on those tours and 
and you, you miss out on your gelato. So there were days where we were doubling up and having nine <laughs> scoops of gelato a day. Um, it, it, right about the same time that my metabolism started to slow down too, so it was perfect. But uh, for us, you know, ice cream, you have to kind of be a little bit crazy to not like ice cream. Uh, there's, there's a sense of childlike joy that it brings to people. When whether it's cold or hot, people do, do love ice cream. Uh, th that's, I guess, one of the motivators that we had at the start to do this, this sort of business, um, to, be, uh, to be able to bring that childlike joy to people in their homes. Um, you know, during COVID as well, like when COVID started, we had just gotten back from the Philippines for my wedding. Uh, and I, Min, who's Vietnamese, I kind of showed him the dirty ice cream culture in the Philippines where these men would be peddling around carts in, uh, on the streets and ring the bell and all the kids and you know, adults as well would, would come around and get dirt cheap uh, homemade ice cream. Um, it's really ingrained in the Filipino culture. So when uh, Min, who actually now works for um, a business that wholesales desserts and gelato to, to many big restaurants and groups in Melbourne, um, his boss has been a great mentor and friend of ours since our early days in William Anglis. He, he had a little factory um, pr to produce the stuff. And he said, look, you guys aren't doing anything. Maybe you want to try something out. Um, you know, just kind of get you through um, whilst there's nothing happening. Um, luckily enough, we, we know we, and smartly enough, we took that chance uh, to be able to produce our products um, safely and consistently. And yeah, just kind of, and that's kind of how we fell into it. Um, to be honest with you, Huck, at the start, I was, I, all, I only kind of thought of Caraton as a COVID hustle. My, my mind was still very much in, you know, fine dining cooking. I had, I had uh, dreams and plans of opening my own little place um, here in Melbourne. And uh, the, the thought of kind of sidestepping to do uh, something more casual wasn't really on my mind. Um, and I guess having that time to reflect, having that time during lockdown to just kind of sit and reflect on, on my career and my life and my circumstances, I realized that, you know, it, it's, I'm not, I'm not taking a step back as, as what I thought I was going to do. Um, in a, and in a way I actually found myself, find myself now being a lot more happy and creative, um, and, and free. Uh, because gelato is this great vessel where you're able to reach so many more people um, in, an, in a way that's approachable and, and familiar. Uh, and you're able to express yourself. Uh, you know, like right now, we're, our, our bestseller is still our Ube Gelato Purple Yam. And it's funny because, you know, we have non-Filipinos coming to the store and in their cups or in their cones is this barney purple gelato that no one would would ever think about having you know i want to explore what you're doing there at Caraton um in, in more detail in a little bit but take us back to when you were young um where did you grow up and sort of what role did food play in your life growing up so growing up i was uh, i i have a very typical i guess immigrant immigrant story i was born in the philippines um and then we moved to new zealand when i was three uh, back in 96, um, you know, back then 
we were kind of one of the first waves of Filipinos or foreigners who really moved to New Zealand. Um, it was it was a very very interesting and, and, and great childhood. Like it wasn't bad at all. New Zealand is a, is an amazing accepting culture, um, multicultural, just like Australia. Um, and then in twenty, oh God, when was it? Two thousand five, end of two thousand five, start of two thousand six. We moved here to Melbourne, um, and I spent my, all of my formative years here in Melbourne. I did um, my, or in Australia anyway. I did high school here in Melbourne. Went to TAFE here in Melbourne, did my cooking in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, and it's been an interesting journey, uh, I guess, being a Filipino uh, overseas. Uh, there is a lot of us, but growing up, I never really felt that representation uh, because we're quite in... My, my parents' generation, they're quite insular in that they kept the culture to, them, to themselves and kind of asked their children to do their best to to fit in. Um, but in terms of my, in my, my, my childhood, it was a very happy childhood. I was a, I was a chubby kid uh, and a lot of people will say I'm still a chubby adult. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, love good food, right? Um, but you know, I've always loved, loved food growing up. Um, it always piqued my interest. I guess it's because I loved eating, but um, I also uh, found interest in in how to cook I would come home and uh, come home every day and chuck on the food network uh, and uh, you know I used to watch Gary Rhodes and um, oh, what's that? Um, oh yeah like old old like Neil Perry I used to watch as well you know uh, and it's funny because I think a lot of people get into food because their parents were great cooks or their family were great cooks. My mum and my dad, they were medical professionals in the Philippines. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have a, a big family where a lot of them would cook for us and take care of us, but also we were fortunate enough to uh, be able to have helpers in the house who would, who would cook uh, meals for us as well. So when my mum when my actually moved to uh, New Zealand and my dad it, it was a massive shell shock for them because all of a sudden they had to learn how to cook, uh, to clean, to take care of the kids. Um, they had to be this jack of all trades. Uh, and they, they, had, they literally didn't know how to cook back then. Uh, for the longest time, we were having a lot of fried food and you know, boiled food. Um, thankfully enough, I say to my dad now, my dad, you've, you've come leaps and bounds. Like my, some of my dad's cooking. I'm surprised. Like he cooks better than me sometimes. Um, but uh, I actually copped a lot of flack saying that on, on like on a report before saying like, oh, I, and I was inspired to become a chef because my, my mum was a terrible cook growing up. And, um, we all laugh at it about it in the family, but you know, it's, it's a funny thing that I, I almost wanted to learn how to cook, to cook for myself. I, I used to come home from school and um, get whatever's in the pantry and make this like Frankenstein of a fried rice. And I just thought, you know, watching Neil Perry of the walk and chucking things in and soy sauce and vinegar and blah, 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 having no idea in the world uh, <laughs> and coming up with some sort of monstrosity. That was kind of one of my first memories cooking as a child. Um, but cooking kind of does run in our family somewhat. My, my, my dad's mum, my grandfather, my grandmother did own her own restaurant in the wet markets in the Philippines. And that, 
that was the, I, I do remember every time we go into the Philippines, I'd spend a lot of time there or she'd bring a lot of food back home for me. And it was very, very formative in, in my core memories. You mentioned that your parents were quite insular about their Filipino heritage. Um, did that make you want to explore that um, and dive into your heritage as you became an adult? Yeah, yeah, it, it has actually. I, I think growing up, um, a lot of Filipinos my age or my generation, yeah, our our parents did tell us, you know, go go to school, fit in, learn the language, and try not to stick out too much. Uh, I guess it was a little bit of uh, a defense mechanism. Um, you know, you parallel that with other Southeast Asian uh, cultures. You know, you look at the Vietnamese, the Thai, the Malaysian, uh, they all kind of um, really wore their culture. Um, and you can see that in the little mini communities that they have in the suburbs. Um, I don't know. To me, it's almost a Filipino trait of that generation, I guess, from, from their upbringing with the certain things that happened in the Philippines with you know, colonization, World War II, um, you know, the Marcos regime. That's, that's, another, that's another podcast in itself. Um, but for me growing up, there, what, uh, when I was in high school, I, I tried to blend in with, you know, with, with all the Italians and, and, and the Maltese that I, that I was growing up with, trying to play soccer and trying to be like them. Um, but then it reached a point in, in my youth when I was like, well, I'm Filipino. Why? Like, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm really, really proud of that. Um, but I don't, I don't see anyone who looks like me, talks like me, eats like me, um, to be a role model here in Australia. Um, and I guess that, that, that little spark inside me to be, to explore my culture, um, A, to, yeah, to, to gain that knowledge and explore my culture, uh, and then B, to share it to the world. Um, you know, we, we would, my, my connection with my culture really when, when I was young was, was at home with my family at the dinner table, eating Filipino food, um, speaking the language. To this day, my mum refuses to speak to me in, in English. Um, and I think, I think to myself, you know, why are we just kind of leaving all of this beautiful food and culture to, to, our, to the household? Like even when my friends would come over, and or we'd go to a party where we know that non-Filipinos would be there. We'd try to cook for their palate, or we'd try to cook for their, you know, for their expectations. Something that wouldn't offend them. Whereas at home, you know, we'd be having like pork blood stew, or my dad would make this like stir fry of, of pork liver that was that was absolutely delicious. Um, so that's. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that really motivated me from the start, and to this day, it, it kind of still motivates me to to my, my motivations now. I guess have have, have evolved. Um, I still want to share the culture with 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 non Filipinos and and show how beautiful our cuisine is, but also inspire the next generation of Filipinos um, and be that hopefully be that role model that I didn't have when I was growing up. 
Yeah, well, I think you definitely are. And I mean, you would know more than anyone the incredible diversity of Filipino cuisine, but sort of the proliferation of um, Filipino food that's happening at the moment, this amazing um, evolution within the Australian culinary landscape with different operators showcasing Filipino food. How, how do you feel about what's going on? Oh, I'm so proud, Huck. Like, even, even just in Melbourne alone, um, there's... There's so many more Filipinos on, on all levels of, of, uh, of hospitality um, opening up and showcasing the cuisine. You know, we can, you know, Sarai just won new restaurant of the year last year, and that's, that's absolutely amazing. We've got some smaller, um, not, well, not smaller, but um, operators in the, in the fast casual and more casual um, bracket with like Barcada, um, Udu. Filipino street food and in Asal Express, they do um, this beautiful Filipino grilled chicken. That is, you know, that that'll blow that'll blow Nando's and your local your local um, charcoal chicken shop out of the water. Um, just here in the CBD alone, um, in in the space of a year, including Caraton, we've had four or five Filipino businesses pop up in the in the Melbourne CBD, and that's that's massive for representation. Um, as massive for the for the reach because now it's really it's really um, I guess um, announcing that we're not an insular culture anymore. You don't have to go out to say you know out in the west of Caroline Springs or Sunshine to get your Filipino fix. Uh, we're coming to the people and 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 that's that's amazing. Sydney has its its great places too. You know. Um, one really great place I can think of is uh, Sydney Sabulichon in in Newtown. They make amazing, um, you know, Southern Philippine style lechon. That's just you know one of the one of the best things you can put in your mouth, really. Let's go back a little bit. Where where did you sort of get your foot in the door? What were the sort of venues that were really important for you and and people as you started to build your career? Well, I, I I think I've since I've was been able since I've been able to to work I've always been in some sort of food or hospitality um, at the stroke of 14 and nine months I started working at KFC <laughs> um, and man fast food people look down on fast food but when you're a young kid and you learn all those basics in such a high pressure high volume environment it's it's so it's so worth it um, so when people ask sometimes like where like name some of your um, most uh, influential places. I'm like, yeah, KFC's one. Um, but no, when I was in, um, I guess I've, I've been really lucky Huck, in my career to work at some really great places and get my get my foot in the door in some really great places. Um, when I was still in TAFE, I, I started working at Rockpool Bar and Grill in Melbourne. Um, I I. I started off as a, as a polisher, just po- in the back polishing glasses, polishing cutlery. Um, really, what you know, you'd, you'd think is like the what traditionally people would say, oh, you know, that's the lowest job in the in the in the kitchen or in the business. But for me, it was a start. I was so proud to just get my foot in the door of a Neil Perry restaurant because I've just been watching him throughout my teens cooking, um, and from there, I kind of. I, I try my best everywhere I am to show my worth and show that I can do more than the job that I, I'm hired to do. I think that's a very, very important mindset. 
not just in hospitality, but in everything in, in life, I guess. Um, I, so I moved from polishing um, plates and cutlery to running food to guests to eventually, by the end of my stint as a waiter there at Rockpool, I was taking my own section at, at 18. Um, and that was, a, that was a very influential time for me. Um, it allowed me to understand the service and the front of house side of it as well. The importance of wine and cocktails and timing. Um, and then I, I, once I graduated from Anglis, I made that that jump into into the kitchen. I, I was sweet talking the pastry chef the whole time I was on the I was on the floor to uh, eventually give me a job, and he, he eventually did. Um, so I was working. Uh, I, I did I did pastry there for a year and a half, um, and being in that in that high volume, highly skilled environment at the time, the chefs there were. Um, Sack Nicholson, um, Robbie Bell, Robbie Bell, who now owns uh, City Larder and Patisserie, uh, City Larder Charcuterie, um, and a whole host of other highly skilled chefs who motivated me to really do more. Robbie was the first person to actually say, "Look, you know, if you want to be a pastry chef, great, that's cool, but mate, you're eighteen, you're eighteen, nineteen. Like, how are you so sure right now that that's what you want to be?" He's like, "You, you know, you should, you should." dabble in in the in the savory side uh, and I, I really took that to heart and I said okay Rob like um, I'd love to do more can you and he, he used to work with Phil Wood over in, in Sydney in the flagships I said Rob you reckon you can get me get me a trial at, in at the original in Sydney and um, he was on the phone later that night and he's like all right well they're expecting for a trial like the next week and I'm like oh crap okay um, uh, to put into perspective as well, I'm the youngest of my family and I'm the youngest of like 32, like not 32 actually, like 22 cousins. Um, so I'll, I'm the baby. So I told my mum I was going to go to Sydney for, for like just a trip. She didn't know I was going there for a trial. So I went to Rockpool, did the trial. Um, about two weeks later, um, after nagging Robbie to, to call Phil again to ask if I've got the job, I got the job and I was elated. Um, until I went home and I told my mum that, hey, I'm moving to Sydney, by the way, guys. Uh, and they're like, when? Oh, they're expecting me there in about two weeks' time. <laughs> so that was my first foray into fine dining. Um, it was such a massive step up from, from Rockpool. Not, not, in, not from Bar and Grill, sorry. Not in, I guess, like, not that we were making terrible stuff at Rockpool, but that intensity and that concentration and that passion just intensified so much more in in that in the flagship. Um, it almost felt like you know, you know, if if Rockpool, you were just a soldier in the army. You go to the flagship. You know, it's the Marines. Like these guys are the best of the best. And I was a massive fish, fish out of water, like twenty year old going into this three hat establishment with a really driven and passionate young chef. It was just pedal to the metal every day, but. Um, I, I look back at those times and man, I look like man, I, I learned so much. I, if not just if not just skill, but in mentality of like, I can get through every day, any day, as long as I have the right mindset to um, to challenge to take on any challenge I can. 
there's an old saying that sort of says that you should never meet your heroes. You know, what was it like sort of meeting Neil Perry and working for for him, given sort of your experience watching him on the television? Yeah, I met him. I'm, I'm was able to meet him a few times. Um, every single time, I shoot myself. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you, you look at these people as 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 your, you know your idols and your heroes, and they when they walk when they walk in and you know they walk by you, it's it's like they have this this awe about them. They're just like, oh my god, that's Neil Perry. And then everyone everyone around me is just like, yeah, it's Neil Perry. What are you on about? And I'm just there, just absolutely cheesing. Like, no, you don't understand. It's Neil Perry. Um, Neil was an absolutely great person. He was, he's a great boss. Even, you know, even though um, at that time, Neil wasn't in the kitchen anymore every day, uh, you can tell that he created a business culture that, was, that fostered um, people and really mentored them. Uh, and those times that I did... Um, did uh, actually, to be honest, I, I remember this one day where um, I overproved all the bread, and I was like, "I'm going to get." And it was at the flagship. Oh, I'm going to absolutely get caned for this. Like, it was flat. It was sad. It was saggy. Um, and he came past, and he was real gentle about it. He's like, um, "He's like, um, I think I think you've taken the bread a bit too far today. You know, tomorrow tomorrow's going to be a better day." And I said, "Yeah, chef, it is going to be a better day." Um, and that that kind of sums up exactly how Neil was like, I, you know, it, shit happens. It does happen, even at the, even at the highest level. But, um, you know, tomorrow's a new day and you learn from your, from your mistakes. Tell us about going back to Melbourne. What sort of lured you back down there and where did you find your feet? Really what lured me back was, uh, was homesickness. I, I'm, I'm very family orientated and very close to my family. So those two years in Sydney... Being away from the closest people in my life, um, really, it was, it was a really hard thing for me. Um, so I eventually moved back to Melbourne to be with my with my family again. Um, and, but coming back to Melbourne, I took that mindset that I came from a three hat. I need to go back to a three hat, uh, or else um, I've kind of like, what am I doing? So I I signed up for some stages at Attica and, and Bray. I did end up doing six four weeks at Attica and then two weeks at Bray. And there were amazing experiences to, uh, see, to see kind of that style of service that I've never seen before. If, if in a rock pool, the flagship was a lot more traditional, um, I'd say uh, old school style fine dining, whereas uh, Attica and Bray were more of this modern European style fine dining with the set menu and the degustation. Um, I met uh, my time. I love my time there. Uh, I met some amazing people that I'm still really quite close with and friends with. Um, but I just, it just didn't. I didn't. It didn't click for me. It, I didn't feel like what I needed was in those in those restaurants. Like you know, I think everybody who walks into Attic and Bray with a stage, nine times out of ten they want a job. And I'd be lying if I say I didn't. You know, I, I wasn't fishing for a job when I stepped in into the door but by the end of my time there I just thought look uh, this isn't for me and yeah I had to be honest with myself about that um, but during that time was when Lume was opening um, under Sean Quaid and it was the most mysterious um, 
restaurant at the time, at that time, like they weren't allowing you to even take photos of their dishes. <laughs> as far-fetched as that sounds now in the 21st century. <clears throat> um, so I just kind of shot an email out and Sean asked me to come in for an interview and he kind of talked to me talk me talk to me about his how he cooks and his philosophy and I real what really drew me in was how creative and molecular Sean was he was using a lot of these ingredients that I longed to to learn more about thanks to Heston and the Rocker brothers and and Ferran Adria um, and this idea of making something look like something it isn't you know like a cauliflower cheese this sense of of art form, um, so I, I snapped. I snapped up that opportunity. Um, honestly, the hardest job of my life. Uh, opening this restaurant, well, almost being part of this opening team of this restaurant, where they're you know they're booked out every day. Uh, we were doing eighteen courses uh, to start off with at that point, and I was, and it was just you on that section alone there was no no one else coming to help you not like in Rockpool or Attica where you or Bray where you had people to rely on in that section it's like nah this is you 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 get everything done by four o'clock or you know you hope that you can swim very good during service uh, I, I still say to Sean every time we catch up like you know you're the one chef that really really made me reconsider whether I wanted to be a, a chef or a real estate agent <laughs> Because there was one day where, um, I don't know, I just, I wasn't making the cauliflower cheese right. And um, it just kept, it was melting. It was literally melting in, in the dehydrator at like 40 degrees. Uh, and that was at that point, the, the showstopper, the pinnacle, you know, everyone, we were known for the cauliflower cheese. So I stayed back till like 3am to do the next batch the next day for the next day. And I said to myself, man, if it doesn't work tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to pack up my knives and I'm going to sign myself up to, be, to learn real estate because, you know, stuff this. Um, thankfully, I don't know, I don't know, thankfully, it, 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 it did work out. Um, and that was a really trying, trying experience in Lume um, during that first year because it was just, yeah, it was just hectic. But it really instilled like, okay, I can do whatever now. And, and, and Sean really became a great mentor of mine to not just in, in cooking and, and, and teaching me how to cook, but in, in philosophy of, of my own food and how to look at things and marketing and branding and, and all of that stuff. So I, I can't thank him enough for my time there. You spent a bit of time at Amaru as well. Was that quite different to your experiences with Lume? Yeah, yeah. Amaru was an amazing time. It, Amaru, if, if Lume was an artistic um, venture, uh, Clinton and his cooking is definitely more instinctive. And I really enjoyed that, you know, cooking things over fire and cooking, uh, cooking with direct heat. It, it, it was such an amazing time. And we were such a, a small team back then and close-knit, and we really had each other's back. And Clinton was in the kitchen every day, um, and we really drew off his passion. Uh, I really wanted to go somewhere that was owner-operated to understand what that life was like, because eventually I thought to myself, if I'm going to open my own restaurant, I want to see the different kind of aspects, whether I want to do it on my own, if I want to do it with partners or an an angel investor or or whatever. Um, But that was just um, a great time because 
he was also just kind of starting off as well and we were able to grow with him and with the business and he gave us a lot of freedom to to help him to do that you eventually uh came back to lume as executive chef Um, what sort of impact did that role have on you yeah, that was, a, that was a massive thing. I didn't expect it. Sean was moving on um, to other ventures and he kind of tapped me on the shoulder. I, I got an email from him one day like, hey, I want you to be the exec chef and take over me. And um, look, long story short, it was, it was a great time. I learned so much. Maybe I learned more about what I didn't want than what I did want. Um, in hindsight, um, I was probably much too young and inexperienced, immature, for that role, uh, but it, it, it's it's one of those things where you can't really say no to because you don't know when it's going to come ahead next, uh, or when it's going when that offer is going to come next. Um, you know, there was there were certain certain I guess things that I was doing. I I just came I was I was fresh off um, coming back from San Pellegrino, young chef. Um, I felt like I was standing on clouds and. I was, you know, I was really, really passionate about doing modern Filipino food, but that passion was almost unchecked and unhinged. And I, they, I was, I was really driven by my own ego to try to show off how much I can do. And I forgot that, what you know, we're cooking for people. We, we want to cook food that people want. Um, and you know, I, I can look back now and, and say that with, with confidence that like, man, I, I, I kind of I messed up a, a lot of things back then. Um, back then, I wouldn't have admitted that, uh, but it it was a very it was a it was a time where I, I learned a lot about myself, and it, it allowed me to kind of recenter what my priorities are with my food and my cooking, because um, it's so easy to get caught up in in all of the. And all of the accolades and, and the awards and the write-ups and this and that, uh, where you forget that, wait, we're cooking for people. Like at the end of the day, it's these people that uh, you know. You want bums on seats. A, a successful restaurant is bums on seats, not how many how many write-ups they have or how many articles they have of the chef. And my motivators were probably wrong. I maybe fell into that to that mindset, but I learned a lot. I learned so much. Um, of what food to cook, what what works, what doesn't work, how to how to manage and how not to manage people. Um, so so yeah, it, as much as it was, I think in in my personal opinion, a negative time for myself. I take positives out of it uh, to to implement into here at Caraton or in the next business that I have is to you know, what are we going to do? Uh, we all, uh, what like what are we going to do in terms of food? Uh, we always have the have the the customer in the focus. Um, how to treat the staff? How to get the best out of them without burning them out or without you know essentially pissing them off enough to like you know just leave you. It's it's super important. You um, change sort of tact in the food industry, um, but is there sort of times that you miss the energy of the commercial kitchen and that sort of world that you were immersed in for so long? Oh yeah, I do. I, I really do. Um, I my wife would kill me for saying that I miss the kitchen, um, especially now that uh, now that we have a, have a almost a two year old son and another one on the way. Like me being at me being away at night, I would, I'd probably get a divorce served up to me. But 
<laughs> because I guess that's that's all I knew for ten years, and and it's that em- energy and camaraderie when you're with somebody on the line on a busy day, and you're making it happen. You, no one can, no one can like understand that feeling unless you've been in there. You know, you've been in the trenches with with your mates, cooking some of the best food. To this day, like I say, I miss that. Um, we're actually, um, this might be uh, an exclusive, but we're actually looking to open uh, a little Filipino restaurant and bar here in the Melbourne CBD. We're, we're, just, we're just in negotiations right now with, with, a, with a site that um, hopefully goes our way. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I'm not going to be there. I was, I was saying to the chef that we're eventually going to have run the place. I'm like, man... I'll probably do. I'll probably do a, like a service or so a day, or like a week. Um, but as soon as I start messing things up, I'm just gonna, you know, see you later. <laughs> uh, but it's that energy. You miss that energy. You miss that kind of like banter and camaraderie. Uh, you uh, that, and you miss. For me, I guess one thing with Caraton that I don't, I don't get to experience as much now because I'm usually in the production kitchen upstairs or in the office is the happiness and that the, the enjoyment that your customers get when they when they eat your food or have your creation. Um, that was kind of the one thing that I really loved at Rockpool Bar and Grill when I was a waiter was clearing people's plates and plates were empty. Like people would damn near lick plates. That 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 to me is is why we do this. Um, and that's kind of one thing that why we, why I want, or why I would go back into a restaurant, and why I would kind of be part of another restaurant project is just to, yeah, just to experience that again. Well, you mentioned a little earlier about uh, the purple yam gelato. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the products and the flavors that you guys are doing that people might not be familiar with. Yeah, so um, our core flavors are Filipino inspired. It's just a nod to to what to our origins in, in lockdown. Um, so at all times, we have 10 Filipino-inspired flavors and then two Asian-inspired um, creative flavors that we're kind of just, you know, what's cool, what do we want to play around with? Um, but it, gelato has been an, a, an amazing vehicle to um, convey Filipino flavors and, and ingredients. A purple... Purple Yam to this day is still our bestseller. We'll 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 go we'll do over uh, I think over like two hundred kilos of that over the two stores per week, um, and through the through the ice cream, you know, we've we've been able to do like I'm looking at it right now. We're doing toasted rice and chocolate with fish sauce caramel. Um, it, it's it's inspired by uh, a breakfast porridge we have in the Philippines of toast of uh, chocolate rice and we eat it with uh, dried salted fish Filipinos love this uh, sweet and savory combination um, and it's a shock and awe thing people are like oh fish sauce caramel oh well, well like that's that's a bit weird you know let's try it and then they try it and they realize oh it works and it's 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 one again one of our best sellers as well but um, yeah it it's been a great way to to uh, it's a great platform to be able to use these ingredients and, and flavors that people haven't really had before um, that would really, really kind of scare them off or put, not put them off, but 
like there'd be hesitance to go for those things because I guess most ice cream shops you go to, it's like there's going to be a vanilla, there's going to be a pistachio, there's going to be a chocolate if you don't want to be too adventurous. Um, yeah. Well, you're doing amazing things and look forward to seeing what's emerging uh, down the track. But uh, what do you love about what you do? I, I guess it's 80 hours. <laughs> like I'm, I'm now... A, I'm now, I'm now a day walker, as they call it. Um, but that means I get to be with my family and I get to be with, um, with my wife uh, and enjoy you know, some things like social sports that we, I took for granted when I was a chef. Um, what I really, really enjoy about my, my job now is the, the freedom and to be creative um, and knowing that, like, uh, 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 how do I put this? I feel like I'm more creative now than I was before as a as a chef, um, and kind of we, we we look at we look at ice cream as a blank canvas or gelato as a blank canvas. Okay, like here's the base. What base are we gonna do? What are we gonna add to that to to highlight that ingredient or the, or a texture or whatever? Um, and we've been able to come up with some really really cool cool flavors and ideas. Like one of the things that. I really love and I'm proud of one of the flavors that we did is called One in a Melon where we we took inspiration from um, the dessert card in Yamcha. You know how there's always like sliced jelly and melon and okay, we want to put watermelon sorbet, honeydew sorbet and cantaloupe sorbet all in one tin. So when you scoop it, it's kind of have this rippled effect um, uh, to invoke that that uh, Yamcha dessert. Um, and what we found in the process was that all three melons, by their, I guess, biological makeup, that's what it's called in it. But anyway, like, because of how they react, instead of, instead of having this one amalgamous melon sorbet, when you eat it, you can still actually taste the three different melons separately because they attack different parts of your palate. And, and like, you know, kind of having that kind of freedom to explore that stuff and being able to explore different cultures because we're not, we're not, um, we're not set in this box that we're doing. Uh, we're, we're having so much fun now. Um, and that, that really is the, is the joy of, of what I'm doing now. Well, John, it's an absolute honor to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. And it sounds like there's so much more to come. So um, hopefully we can catch up again soon and um, keep in touch. Yeah, thank you, Huck. Thanks for letting me ramble on your podcast today. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>